G'day, everybody. It's time for the Super Bowl edition of the Sam and the Big Man NFL podcast. Sam Zickman, it's a very good evening. And is it fair to say that this would have been one of the better Super Bowls you've ever seen? Absolutely. This was a such a good Super Bowl from start to finish. Great to be with you as well. Uh, a little bit later for our podcast in the week than we normally do for our for our listeners, but we've, uh, we're getting it done in the week of the Super Bowl. It was such a good game. There was so much happening. Uh, it was back and forth. I feel like the right team won in the end, even though I wasn't 100% uh, in agreement with the way it occurred. And we can get into that when we when we get to talk about the game and the penalty towards the end of the match. But what a match. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's five years into an NFL career and he'd be stamped in the Hall of Fame right now with two Super Bowls, two MVPs. Two Super Bowl MVPs, he's such a good player and, and pulled it out when he needed it. Wouldn't say it was his best game passing the football, but he just had a masterful game as a quarterback, the way he unpacked the defense. So looking forward to getting into tonight, David. And yeah, it's a little bit sad as well, because that's the end of NFL for near on six months. Absolutely. If I'd have told you before the Super Bowl that Jalen Hurts would go 27 for 38 with 304 yards, a throwing touchdown, a QBR of 79.7, and 70 rushing yards and three touchdowns. I think you would have said that he's performed pretty well. And he was, it, This is the, the fascinating thing with this Super Bowl is that I think this was won by Kansas City's defense in the second half because they bent, but they didn't break. And if you look at the second half, Kansas City's won the second half 24-11. And that's, what it's, that's where it's put, um, putting teams away under pressure. But Hertz was spectacular, Sam. He realised other than a fumble, which was a fumble six, he was just, he was magnificent from my perspective. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, it's, you know, he didn't win the Super Bowl. I'm not talking about it pre-game about how this, in terms of the money that he will get when he gets his contracts extended in the off-season, if he wins the Super Bowl, I feel like he's going to get that money anyway now because that was such a good performance by him and re- really good analysis there because you're right, it, this game was won on the defensive side of the ball rather than the offensive side of the ball. In in many ways, Jalen Hurts is actually the best player on the field, and I don't think anyone would have begrudged him getting the MVP of the Super Bowl. I feel like his performance was exceptional. Patrick Mahomes did throw three touchdowns compared to only one thrown touchdown, but then three running touchdowns in the way that Hurts commanded the, the offense. Um, you know, certainly put him up there as well. I was quite happy with Patrick Mahomes winning it. I thought he did have a really good game. As I said, he, he, unpa- he unpacked. Uh, what he was seeing on the defensive line. And like you mentioned, David, if we look at the defensive box score, two sacks, five tackles for loss for Kansas City versus no sacks, one tackle for loss on the defensive side of the ball for Philadelphia. So that's what it came down to is when they required it, and it wasn't all games, they still leaked 35 points, but when they required it, Kansas City's defense came up big. I actually think that the only team that would have beaten Philly on this this night was actually Kansas City. I don't think the other, I don't think Buffalo and Cincinnati might would have been as composed as this. Uh, of course, Mahomes um, re-injured his ankle, produced an important, a very important rush at the end. But let's go through it. Um, at halftime, Philadelphia led twenty-four to fourteen after a blitzkrieg of the first half. It was just there was so much happening. Philly scored off a, a field goal right at the end of the. First half, though they are in great form, and then as we said before, Kansas City have gone seven and seventeen in the final two quarters. Philly just three and eight. They got a two point touchdown. They get them square at thirty five apiece. 
Um, fascinating watching a video tonight. One of the touchdowns that Kansas City scored was from a wrong formation. They, all the Philadelphia players left, um, the wide receiver left on the left-hand side of the Kansas City attacking field. And there's actually an NFL video of it, Sam, where they said, I actually called the right play and they went the wrong way. But it's just, you know, Mahomes knew what he was doing. He could read the defence. Uh, Sam, in watching the whole game, did you think at halftime that Kansas City were gone or just in trouble? Just in trouble. We saw them last year in the playoffs a couple of times get down. Uh, two years ago, I should say, get down and come back. So 10 points down for any other team feels like a big margin, but not for Kansas City, especially considering they were getting the ball to coming out of halftime. So I was still confident they would come back. Um, I had some I had some moments in the second quarter where I thought Philadelphia had an opportunity to blow them away. I think that last drive in particular, when they only settled for a field goal, yeah. could have stretched it out to 14, I think would have been really important. Because then as you saw after halftime, it was touchdown, field goal, touchdown, punt. And suddenly Kansas City were in front with the ball, another touchdown. Philadelphia then got themselves going again. And then it came down to the, the crucial... Um, what was the final drive really? I mean, I know that there was there was one play at the end of the game where they ran around with the ball, so that's not really a play. But the last particular drive of the game, which I alluded to off the top, was the, the field goal for Kansas City. So they got to the two-minute warning. It looked like there was an opportunity for Philadelphia to stop Kansas City with about a minute 40 left on the clock. Um, yeah. Yes, there would have been an opportunity for a field goal. Absolutely, there would have been. But there would have been a lot of time left on the clock for Jalen Hurts. And I think that's what everyone was excited about. The prospect of a, a minute 50, Jalen Hurts with the footy, a couple of timeouts in his back pocket. Could he go down and either tie the game or win the game? I think everyone's expecting he would at least go down and tie the game and we'd go to overtime. But it wasn't to be. For the second week in a row, a very untimely penalty uh, assisted Kansas City. Obviously, a late hit out of bounds on Mahomes two weeks ago. Um, put them within field goal range um, to win. And in this particular matchup here, um, there was a defensive holding call on Philadelphia on third and eight at the Philly 15. Um, you know, that was a four-yard penalty, but it was a first down, automatic, automatic first down. Automatic first down. Yeah, that's right. And, and obviously, we know, we know what happened from there. Jared McKinnon, incredibly unselfish play by him uh, to yes, slide down. Yeah, that was a heady play because a lot of the times the players, you know, it's it'd be one, really difficult to slow yourself up. Two, you're about to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he, he managed to pull himself up. They put all the all the pressure on Butka, uh, who'd obviously missed an extra point. I'm sorry, missed a field goal earlier. And, and he got the job done and that was it. Game over. Um, the guys, what, what I was watching, saying, why did he not score the touchdown? I said, because he's trying to milk the clock. And I explained to them what they were doing. And it was a masterly performance. It really was at the end. Sam, Sam Zickman, um, ladies and gentlemen, has been talking for the last probably eight weeks, in particular a reference to his beloved Dallas Cowboys, about balance in attack. Philly, 38 throws and 32 rushes, which is a pretty fair effort. I might add that those 32 rushes went for 115, which is standard. That's less than four yards a rush. Kansas City, ladies and gentlemen, 27 throws and 26 rushes. But when you consider that they averaged 6.1 yards a rush, they got 158 yards on the ground. Interesting stats that I saw at the end of this game was the time in possession was vastly towards Philly. Like it was not even close in time in possession. And that that they had they scored they gained more yards 
So they are more first downs, 417 yards, uh, 30, 25 touchdowns to 21, 25, sorry, 35 minutes to 24, 35 minutes, 47 to 24, 13, and they still got beat. That's probably, what you have to do, isn't it? If you do want to beat Patrick Mahomes, that's like they played it exactly the way you need to oh, keep the ball out of his hands, but it just wasn't enough. I've got no doubt that Coach Sirianni and Jalen Hurts and the, and the brains at Philly, who have already started leaving Philly, because there's been some appointments around the league, we'll have to talk about some of the movements around the league. If you'd have told them that we'd have the ball for 35 minutes, turn it over once, which isn't ideal, but better than two, three, or four, score 35 control the football, control the time, control the first downs, get more yards, and they still didn't win. And I think it's testament to how good Kansas City were. As Sam said, their O-line kept Patrick Mahomes basically in a dinner suit most of the night. And the Kansas City D shone where it counted. After getting scorched for 24 in the first half, they got only 11 scored against them in the second half. So... It was a superb game of football. It really was. On Sam, it must be said, a poor field. Players from both sides have been very, very vocal in how poor the surface was. And if fascinatingly, the game was played with an open roof, which I can't quite believe. But the surface, Sam, was very slippery. Players having to change, and the players rated it as poor. And that's just not good enough for the biggest game of football anywhere in the world. It was noticeable on the coverage and the commentators were doing their best to be, you know, as politically correct as they could. But even though you could hear the groans from the commentators when players were slipped every time they tried to make a cut, it started off in the first half. It was just on the logos. And then in the second half, it just descended to chaos. It was everywhere across the entire field. I don't know whether it was, um, you know, moisture on the field or it was because of the halftime show or that overwatered it perhaps um, before the game. But, yeah, it was noticeable. It was not not what the NFL would have wanted for their spectacle game. And unfortunately, a few I've seen a few commentators during the week mention that that is not out of play for that stadium. So it's obviously a bit of an issue that the NFL is going to have to deal with. Not a good look. Um, before I go to a question about field turf, um, just to let our viewers know, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas and Glendale and the um, State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, have both got. Uh, have both got these fields that are on trolleys and, and a trolley system, and they roll them out of the stadium to the northern side so they get the maximum amount of sun. And, of course, Phoenix and Las Vegas are terribly hot, and they could probably grow grass 12 months of the year. And then they move the grass in. Now, I haven't seen too many problems at Allegiant Stadium, but um, State Farm's been there a while now. And I just can't believe that the NFL could, they didn't get this right. There was a call this season, to late in the season, Sam, to make all grounds in the NFL field turf and all have the exact same surface. Do you think that has merit? I don't necessarily think it needs to be the same because you have stadiums that are indoor and outdoor. I think there's always going to be differences of, of what players are playing with and on. Uh, unless you've got absolute parity across the league, then I don't see that there needs to be a concrete decision on whether you're field turf, whether you're astro, whether you're half synthetic, you know, half real grass, which a lot of the different grounds actually use. They use, when you see synthetic, there is actually normal grass growing through as well. Um, in, in a Amy, Park in Melbourne, Amy Park in Melbourne has a synthetic weave, the, the, yep. or what's called the Melbourne Rectangular Stadium. It has a synthetic weave, Sammy. 
That's right. And it's, yeah, that, that can help it hold together and make it feel a bit more natural. So I don't necessarily think so. I understand why the NFL and there might be some for consistency for the players so they know what they're playing on week to week. Um, but there are so many different aspects in the NFL that it just feels like summer in snow. Oh, summer oh, in this the is, desert. That's exactly you know? what I was about to say is it will be completely different playing on field turf at, at Foxborough and at Lambeau in particular and Soldier Field. And like Buffalo already is field turf, so that doesn't qualify. But um, the Foxborough, sorry, already is field turf. But Soldier Field and Green Bay are both natural grass. And it would be totally different to be like playing in a skating rink. If you ever watch footage of the old ice bowl, that'd be what it's like. Um, Sam, can I put you on the spot? Did you feel as an objective viewer with uh, supporting neither team, and by the way, Sam picked the, the margin, ladies and gentlemen, the, the team and the margin. Um, did you feel that the defensive, hold, defensive holding call was a warranted penalty? It's a great question. I think it was a penalty. I just don't think they were calling it for that for the majority of the game. I think it was a penalty. It just wasn't being called. In our own sport, um, and I know that you've, I never played elite football, but you have, the old saying is around our own sport of Australian rules. If the umpires blow a, a penalty first up and blow it all day, the players can adapt to that. And as long as the umpires are consistent and whatever it happens to be, players will adapt to it very quickly, particularly intelligent players. But if they hadn't been calling that, it's actually, if you look at the, if you look at the full motion, not slow motion, if you look at the full motion, I agree with Stephen A. Smith, and I don't often agree with Stephen. In this case, there was a penalty there. It actually yeah. existed. And he stopped the, he stopped the motion. And what, would it have been touched down? I don't know. But a, a defensive holding course, ladies and gentlemen, the reason it's such a big penalty is it's an automatic reset of downs. No matter where you are, you get a first down. So that enabled Kansas City to run down the clock. Um, the rest is history. Uh, Sam, what a superb game of football it was. Um, I've seen some great Super Bowls, but I think this is very close to the best of them. Yeah, and we, we talked about last week, and obviously I'll... Uh, David, you got it right last week with the overtime game a few years ago, which I, I didn't get right, which was a good, very good pickup. But we were talking in that in that conversation about the fact that it had been eight or nine Super Bowls now where you'd gone into the fourth quarter not knowing who the winner was going to be, and that was another. This was another one of those Super Bowls. So the NFL uh, must be absolutely ecstatic with the way these Super Bowls have going, been going. This one could easily have been an overtime game. It was down to the wire. You know, it's that adage of last one with the football wins, and that was effectively what we got. Uh, Kansas City were able to just run out the clock, and like you talked about, they didn't have a lot of possession. They had, um, you know, 17 less plays, but they had the football at the end, and they had the best quarterback and the best player on the field. Um, and we'll wait and see what happens with his career, but, you know, potentially the best quarterback ever. Um, it's unbelievable to think that Tom Brady's just retired and we've got Patrick Mahomes, who's now got two Super Bowls in the first five years, outpacing even the great Tom Brady. Uh, so it's going to be amazing to see. If he has the same longevity of Tom Brady and keeps the weapons around him, he could do anything. This guy is amazing. I think the biggest challenge for Patrick Mahomes, Sam, will be when he gets into his 30s and he loses half a yard. And that will be his biggest challenge. But He's been in five consecutive, they've hosted five consecutive AFC championships at Arrowhead, or as it's correctly known now, Giha Field at Arrowhead. Won two Super Bowls, 
lost another one in which that interesting that 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 one game is probably their poorest performance in which Mahomes shone, but Tampa Bay shredded them. Um, it's they're going to be hard to stop. You you the Buffalo, Cincinnati, possibly the lost. I think the Los Angeles Chargers are going to be around for a while. I reckon they're a pretty good football side. How are they going to stop them? I, one of the things that has to happen is that someone has to get the AFC Championship game away from Kansas City. That's the first step in many. Um, as for the NFC, Philly could be. Philly's got a, a lot of issues to deal with, particularly Jalen Hurts' contract and who's going to go. Um, the New York Football Giants, I think, are on the rise. Dallas, I think, are going to be a very good football side for years, and San Francisco aren't going away either. Um, so fascinating to see what goes on next year. We're going to come back. Philadelphia, yeah. you just touched on it. They've got their off season is going to be critical. They've got so many players whose contracts expectations are not going to be able to be met off the back of the contract they've got to give Jalen Hurts. So it could be it'll be really interesting to see what Philly can do. They're going to have to be super smart. They've built an amazing team, but this rookie contract ex- expiring for these quarterbacks is so important because as soon as you come off those rookie contracts, your flexibility to go and sign, you know, your offensive and defensive line, it just gets so much more difficult. Absolutely, it is. The other team that's got some massive issues is the New Orleans Saints, who are consistently over the cap anyway, but they're actually projected eighty million, and I mean eighty million over the cap, which is huge. Um, Sam and I are going to come back later on um, when we get to draft time. So these these aren't the these are, these is the last actual podcast that looks at this season. We've got the draft not far away. Some big news around the place, all sorts of things happening. I suppose big is what is going to happen in Las Vegas, Nevada, Sam. Derek Carr is out the door. Um, he's been released. And look, I don't know where he's going to end up, but that opens up an enormous opportunity for the Las Vegas Raiders because he was on a high salary. I just don't know if anybody, perhaps rather than the Jets, can afford Aaron Rodgers, but the the, the dominoes are starting to fall very quickly. Yeah, and... The off-season in terms of player movement, it's kicked up again. Normally, we'd be sitting back just waiting now for a few weeks until the league season uh-uh. commences. But but because of the Derek Carr situation and Derek Carr being released, obviously, he had a no-trade clause. He didn't want to get traded, which is absolutely fair enough. Now, he gets to, for the first time in his career, he can he can pick and choose where he goes, and he'll probably end up with a really big contract off the back of it. Um, but that's But what that's done is it's kicked everything into gear. No one can sit back now. Like, if you're the New York Jets... Can you afford to not go after Derek Carr? Can you afford to wait for Aaron Rodgers? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, from all reports, doing a a, a retreat where he's in darkness for four days straight. So he's not going to be around for a while. Um, he's He beats to a different drum. I'll tell you that much. Aaron, particularly in the back half of his career, when the pandemic started, he beats to a totally different drum. He's got some interesting thoughts, Aaron Rodgers. He's certainly not a dull man. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, he's owed 50... I think it's 53, then 48 in the next two years. Yeah, so who's going to jump first is at Derek Carr because he's going to land somewhere and he'll land somewhere for good money. I would expect uh, that New Orleans, who are so far over the cap, uh, they're looking for a quarterback. Obviously, the Jets are looking for a quarterback. Tampa. It's going to be Tampa Bay is going to be looking for a quarterback. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I would expect the Jets will keep and the Raiders will 
obviously the Raiders won't be after him, but those two will be looking at Rodgers in particular. I would expect the Jets to play the waiting game and go after Rodgers. I don't think Rodgers goes back to Green Bay. I would expect that he would either go to, well, I would expect he'd go to the Jets. Possibility he could go to Vegas. Outside chance uh, he could go to San Fran, but that seems less likely the more and more we read articles about it. The interesting thing is with San Francisco is that um, Green Bay's got an heir apparent, but Brock Purdy in particular has put his hand up. I don't. I think Jimmy G's a chance to go to either New York or Las Vegas. That that that's sort of the the what do you call it the 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 swing the 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 swing at the pendulum there is one's going somewhere. Does anybody roll the dice with going and playing in Houston because they're three or four years away from even being competitive? Probably, although they've got a good off field staff. They got a good um, draft pick too. I think they'll. I think yeah, they'll pick up their quarterback of the future and they'll get him in pretty early. It's either going to be um, Young or Stroud. It's either one of those. Stroud didn't do himself any harm with an astonishing performance in the college football players. He was just unreal in in a game that I think that's one of the best games of football I think I've ever seen. Oh, I say play, including when they won it. They were just unreal, and he was, think, he was yeah yeah he was so good. And I think Houston, everyone was like, oh no, they've dropped out of the first pick. It's disastrous, but I think there are two really good quarterbacks you could go either way. So I think Houston sit back and just wait and see what happens. If it happens to be Stroud that drops, um, I think that would be incredibly happy with that result. You know, from all reports, the Colts are the one that everyone's talking about moving up and trading uh, with Chicago to take Bryce Young uh, with the first pick. Yep, that, that's then, that's a lot of in, informed information, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be the mail that that's what's going to happen. Uh, and then you look at, obviously, quarterbacks going one and two, and then you probably see the next quarterback. So Will Levis, who's the one we talked about last week, who jumped. Kentucky, everyone. yep. Yeah, he's now kind of, he's now the consensus third pick again. So third quarterback, I should say. So probably seventh to the Raiders, looks likely. Uh, and the Raiders can reset. Look, keep an eye on this. And, of course, if there is a bit of movement, Sam and I will come straight back, assuming uh, we're both available. But I know Sam will be very keen. If there's movement, we will drop a podcast at, at, at one day's notice, ladies and gents. There's so much that's going on, and it's fascinating to watch. Sam, I spoke about this earlier on in the season. The Bears have actually purchased that purchase, that property at Arlington Park, which is a race course in Chicago. So Soldier Field will not be too much longer. They're going to build themselves. SoFi has now changed the game so much. Sam, and of course, Sam's been blessed enough to be there. SoFi has changed the way that major cities are going to run their football stadiums because Arlington Park's 327 acres, 326 acres, and that gives them the opportunity to do what they like. They might interest the Bears, and uh, sorry, not the Bears, the Blackhawks. They might interest the Chicago Bulls in going across. Who knows? But this purchase this purchase has been uh, done. It's on ESPN today, and Sam, that augurs well for um, Chicago, and it may very well give the Black and Blue Division three indoor stadiums. It's a huge result for Chicago because there's been turmoil around what was going to happen with that stadium and you know arguments with the city. So great result. And you're right, it, it's a it's a blueprint now. So far, obviously the Clippers are going to head out there, the forums out there. Um, you see a similar you actually see a similar thing at Green Bay, not to the same extent. They've just built that over time where they've got, you know, yes. all this set up around the the venue itself, and that's what they'll do in Chicago. They're going to make it a place to go, a place to be. Uh, so yeah, Arlington's the same. Arlington's the same because they've got a baseball stadium and a, a and yep, a, a world class right. baseball stadium and a world class football stadium in the same precinct on a major freeway and with transport to it. And 
Um, I mean, Jerry Jones doesn't do anything by halves, but I think Stan Krenke and the Rams have completely changed him. Uh, Sam, is the I suppose the question is this: is so is the SoFi precinct that impressive that it, it 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 is actually worth visiting, isn't it? That not just the football stadium. Yeah, it is. The only downside of it is you've just got to travel out of town a bit. I mean, it's actually not that far out of town, but it's LA, so. 10k is like traveling 100k in traffic so that's the only downside whereas compared to you know when you're thinking about it because obviously there's no option for the nfl teams when you're thinking about it for say the clippers and the lakers very different experience uh in terms of time getting yourself out to inglewood as opposed to uh, downtown la at crypto arena and one of the advantages that will change in time because Los Angeles is rapidly developing its um, metro system because it's got an Olympic Games in five years. I just put into my calendar that the 26th of July next year is the Paris Olympics. So four years after that, Los Angeles will have had a chance to finally get some kind of reasonable public transport system. And that precinct is actually getting a station. So, which in fact, I think it's getting two. I, th- I think great. that I think it's called the Inuit Dome. Is that correct? The name of is the, is the, did I get that right? For, for, I think, yeah, I think that's is right. It something I think, like that, I think the, the yeah, way the Clippers will play, sure. the Inuit Dome, and that's on the southern part of the southern extremity of that precinct. For those of you that have been yeah, there, that's right. It's the old Hollywood Park. Yeah. yeah, you yep. would have two options, one going obviously through SoFi and one going out the other side as well. Because that, that, that's the issue with it. You've got to change... Uh, having done it myself, you've got to you've got to change trains and then get on a bus and and go out that way as opposed to just being able to get on public transport from you know downtown LA and and head straight there. And the Los Angeles Coliseum happens to be quite close to the centre of Los Angeles as well. Whether this is in suburban Inglewood, it happens to be actually not terribly far from LAX. But no, LAX is a bad enough experience at the best of times. Sam, it's been a terrific season. Been some superb football, some ups and downs. Um, just quickly before, as we finish off, your, your other than the Super Bowl, a couple of highlights from you uh, without notice? I think for me, looking through this particular season, um, I, I reflect really heavily on the experiences we got with Tom Brady. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't the great man's best season, but just thinking back to a few of the opportunities where he did show us a glimpse, um, brought Tampa Bay back. Uh, from the spot we weren't expecting to win and, and won a couple of games. I just really, in hindsight, appreciate that. That was one last look at the GOAT. I think that certainly stands out in my memory. Um, the whole incident around Demar Hamlin, although certainly nothing positive from the incident itself, what followed was incredibly positive. The funding around his toy drive, the whole league getting around him, you know, every sport in America getting around him. It was great to see him on the coverage, sitting next to Roger Goodell as well. That sticks out in my mind. And obviously having watched that game live, not in person, but on TV and seeing it happen, yeah. it'll that will sit in my mind for a long time, um, having seen that happen. But yeah, the, the Tom Brady, Damar Hamlin, you know, and you know what we saw from some of these up and up and coming quarterbacks this year: Jalen Hurts, Brock Purdy, Pat Mahomes, um, to name a few. Certainly, sit out in my mind. What about yourself, David? Um, I'm very thrilled with the fact that the Minnesota Vikings played pretty competitive football and won a lot of games they weren't supposed to and actually showed an enormous amount of ticker. Yes, we failed in the playoffs, but I'm very thrilled in a competitive league that Minnesota actually stepped up and played were very, very good 
for large periods of the year and, as I said, produce some amazing wins. I think the ad advent of a couple of teams who were going the up and up, I thought Gino Luck was absolutely, sorry, Gino Smith was brilliant in Seattle. And for them to get in the players from where they were, I thought he had a great season. I think the advent of three teams in particular excites me. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York football giants, who we've been speaking about for years, have been a basket case. They are no longer a basket case. And Sam, the one that worries me the most because I'm a black and blue division man is the Detroit Lions, who want, if they can figure out their defense, look out. I know that Blind Flores is going to Minnesota, which excites me as well because I think he's a good person and a great football brain. But be watch this space. That NFC East is now so brutally competitive. Can three teams from that division make it again? And if New York can get Barkley and Jones right, get that sort of, I can't see why not because I think they're a very, I think they're fundamentally good football side and their quarterback played out of his skin. He actually played like a like a very good almost sort of quasi-elite quarterback for most of the season. They're the things that excited me the, the most is watching teams grow in front of our face. And I think Detroit's going to be very exciting for a long time. Yeah, really good call-outs with Jacksonville and, and Detroit. You know, Dan Campbell, experiment at Detroit, a passionate leader, um, you know, had his doubters at the start, but he's got that team playing great football and, you know, um, Really excited with yeah what's going on at Jacksonville as well. I think there's an opportunity there for them to really um, really inspire and really come through. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a great coach. Um, yeah, so much to like. I think we talked about a lot this season, didn't we? About how you know how great the season was. It was competitive. You know, it was even. You know, we're sitting down even with a few weeks to go, saying, well, you know, eight or nine teams can make the playoffs. So it was a great season. I think we're yeah we're all going to miss it. It's always a bit sad when the season's over, but as the NFL is becoming more of a 12 month of the year business, we'll be uh, before long, we'll be talking about free agency and drafts. We will. And it, particularly if Aaron Rodgers drops, we'll come straight back on. I know that Sam will be very keen to talk about those sort of things. Uh, if I can just go back to Detroit, that's a very competitive sporting market with a, a struggling city with four teams, a couple of which the Red Wings um, and the, the Lions have um Oh, you know, monopolized um, the the press and so forth. The Pistons haven't been very good for a long time, so it is a tough place. And if the Lions can go well, I think that helps a lot of people in what is a really tough city and a tough city to survive in. Particularly, you know, it, it, the the backside's fallen out of Detroit a, a lot over the last fifteen to twenty years. Sam, thank you so much for season 22-23. It's been an absolute privilege having you on again. It's just lovely to you to talk football. Thank you so much for your time, and look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, David. Can't wait to chat in the off-season and obviously look forward to uh, to bringing the podcast back uh, next NFL season. Absolutely. Definitely, yes. On behalf of Sam Zickman, this is David Redden. It's a very warm um, goodbye from us. We'll see you soon. As soon as things start happening and they're not far away, we'll be back again. But for this season, it's goodbye. <laughs>